0: 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 32, it says, So they feared the Lord. Notice the reference to the fear of God. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. Now just to take that verse alone, if it stood alone, you'd probably see some kind of a... A conflict there. They feared the Lord, and yet they're putting people in places of leadership that are some of the uh, lowest of them. In other words, people that probably shouldn't be in places of leadership. But then it goes a step further in verse 33. It says they feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations which they carried away from thence. So here's another testimony: they they feared the Lord, but they're they're also serving. Other gods, little g, other gods. Verse 34 uh, kind of shines a light on this. It says, unto this day they do after the former manners. In other words, they haven't really changed. They fear not the Lord. In other words, they thought they were fearing the Lord, but they're not really fearing the Lord. If you're following other gods, you're not really fearing the Lord. So it says in verse 34, they feared not the Lord. Neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob. They're, they don't fear the Lord. They're not obeying the Lord, whom he, Jacob, of course, whom he named Israel. Let's just stop reading there. And I want to I just look at this subject today together, devotion and the fear of the Lord. How are those things connected? And let's pray and ask God's... Help today. Father, we, as we've prayed numerous times today and earlier, Lord, we ask you for your help. Lord, as we study together, Lord, as we heard in the 10 o'clock hour, help us to be focused and attentive to your word and be uh, receptive to your truth and learn from it. Today, we pray. And Father, I pray that today you would teach all of us, Lord, to fear you in a biblical way to experience the advantages, the benefits of fearing God. And I pray if there are those here today who've never been saved, I pray that, Lord, you'd work in their hearts and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment to come and draw people to Christ and the cross. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to look at this passage today, and we're going to see, as I said, two examples of flawed devotion. And the one of them is we're looking at here in our text and one of them is actually precedes this. Now, who's it talking about here in verses 32, 33, 34? It says in verse 32, it says they, notice that pronoun they feared the Lord. In verse 33, they feared the Lord. In verse 34, and to this day, they. Now, who's that they referring to? And actually, It's not referring to the Israelites. It's referring to the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a mighty mighty nation, a mighty empire, one of the great empires of all time. And they had conquered Israel at this particular time. And if if you look in verse 6 of 2 Kings chapter 17, it says, In the ninth year of Hoshea." The king of Assyria took Samaria, that's the capital of Israel, took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them, and it gives us a couple of ancient cities, in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan and the city of the Medes. That place they took them is modern-day Iraq. Just a detail, but they, that's over 700 miles away. So the Assyrians conquered Israel and... Took them exile, many of them exile. Well, if you go to verse 24 of that same chapter, just kind of giving us some background, it says And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Cuthi and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sevarvium. The king of Assyria brings these men and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they possessed Samaria. So here's what's happened. The Assyrian Empire comes. They conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, take many of those people captives hundreds of miles away, and now the king is sending people from Babylon, from that region of Iraq now, sending them to occupy the land that they have conquered. You got it so far? Very very important to understand uh, the context here. Notice what it says about these People who are now living in Samaria and Israel says, and and so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. It's a very interesting verse of scripture. And so, these people are living in Israel, the place that's known to be the people of God, the place that God has given to Abraham and his descendants. And yet they don't know how to fear God. And these lions are actually attacking them. And so they've got a problem. Well, here's here's the fix for the problem. In verse, uh, what the Assyrian king is going to do is he's going to send a priest to go down there and teach them how to fear God. And that's found in verse 28. And one of the priests, which they had carried away from Samaria, came and dwelt in Bethel... And taught them how they should fear the Lord. And so we've got this, this priest now who's from Israel, taken away captive, sent back to begin to educate the Assyrians on how to fear God. Now I don't want to cover too much ground too, too quickly, but I just want you to understand this. You know, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to me. I find it very fascinating. For one thing... The priests, we'll see this in a moment, but these priests were not qualified to teach about fearing God because they didn't fear God. But fearing God is not something you can teach like an academic subject. It's not like somebody could come here and have a little seminar and say, Okay, the lions are killing you and it's because you don't know God so this is what you need to do and now go out and do it. Learning to fear God is not as simple as that. So then that brings us to our text in verse 32, it says, so they feared the Lord after they've been instructed by this priest. They feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests. They they got a lesson. They got their certification on what it means to fear God. And now they're putting people in priesthood. People that weren't qualified. People who had no business being there. Verse 33 to me is one of the most revealing testimonies. They feared the Lord. These are the Syrians. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. We're doing what the priest told us to do. We're fearing Jehovah, but we're also fearing these other gods too. We're gonna serve these other gods while we're doing that. And the reality is they weren't really fearing the Lord. Now, I think if we follow this together, we say they weren't really fearing God. If they really feared God, they wouldn't be doing those things, And that's why it tells us in verse 34, in no uncertain terms, unto this day, up till now, the writer here says, they do after their former manners. They're just living the way they've always lived. They haven't changed. They fear not the Lord. They, they don't really fear the Lord. How could the Assyrians ever worship God in sincerity when their devotion to God was flawed? They didn't understand what it means to be devoted to God. And I just want to say today, we need to know what it means to fear the Lord, as the Bible teaches. Well, I said there are two examples here in this passage about flawed devotion. One is the Assyrians. They feared the Lord. That'd be like a person saying to us, yeah, I fear God. I don't don't really care about the things he teaches in the Bible, but I fear God. I fear God, but I still put my career before God. I still still put my pleasure before God. I still put my friends before God, but I fear the Lord. No, you don't fear the Lord. That's what the Bible's telling us. We, We need to understand what the fear of God is. Well, the other flawed example is where this priest was from, and that's... Israel itself. Let's back up again in 2 Kings 17. Just notice a few verses. In verse 6 we, we read a moment ago where the king of Assyria captured Israel. And here's why Israel fell. Here is why God used the Assyrians to destroy his own nation. Look in verse 7. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, ...which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Jehovah God, their deliverer. From under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And, notice this, and had feared other gods. See, Israel, before they were taken captive, they didn't fear God. They feared other gods. They were, they were into idolatry. Verse 8 says, And he walked in the statutes of the heathen... ...whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel... ...and of the kings of Israel, which they had made... Verse 9, and the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, places of worship, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. In verse 10, it says, they set up images and groves in every high hill and evergreen tree. These people, God's people, were also flawed in their devotion to God. And God sent prophets to them. We don't need to read that, but in verses 13, 14, 15, God sent prophets to them. God sent prophets to his people saying, this is not right. This will not work. This is not what God wants. But like we heard this morning in Sunday school, sometimes people don't want to hear what the truth is. They don't want to hear what God says. And so, so they weren't, they wouldn't respond to the preaching. They wouldn't respond to the prophets, even though God sent them. In verse 15, notice what it says in verse 15. And they, this day talking about Israel. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain. And went after the heathen that were round about them concerning which the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. They lived like the world. God said don't do that. But they did it anyway. They're following things that are vain. Now let me ask you knowing the condition that Israel was in before the Assyrians took over, knowing the condition of the priesthood, after they were conquered and these people were taken away in captivity, should we believe that those priests were really qualified to come back and teach the Assyrians about the fear of God? the answer is no. They didn't fear God themselves. How are you going to teach somebody to fear God when you don't? Fear God, they followed things that were vain they couldn't teach they could not teach the Assyrians how to worship God because to worship god this is god's this is not my not my um, requirement this is god 's requirement to worship God, you have to renounce and turn away from all other gods God is you know God is not into. You know, most of the the religions of the world and many people in this country even are polytheistic. That means they, poly means many. They have many gods. You know, I'll mention a moment in a moment about the Athenians and the Greeks. My wife and I had the privilege once to visit Athens and Corinth. And you can go into gift shops in Athens to this day. Athens was a place... Given to idolatry. You can go to a gift shop. A tourist trap. In Athens today. And they have on the shelves. All kinds of false gods. They're polytheistic. They believe in many gods. Baal worship of the Old Testament. Was polytheistic. You worship the sun. God you worship the God of the moon. You worship all these different gods. But God. The Bible God. Jehovah God. Demands exclusive worship. You say, well, why is it, why? Because he's the only God there is. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He makes everything. You can't worship God and worship idols. Well, you say, well, I think a person might try, they may try, but if you are honoring idols, you're not honoring God. And that's why I believe the fear of the Lord is so, so important to understand devotion to God. And both the Israelites in the first part of Second Kings seventeen, and the Assyrians in the second part of it, have this conflicted devotion. They give the appearance of fearing God, but they're following the ways of the world. And you know what? That will fly in many circles, but will not fly in in God. You, God is not God is not like that. Now let's talk about devotion for a moment. What is Devotion, because I'm talking about devotion and the fear of God. And and I tell you, I really appreciate the song Bailey sang this morning about a quiet time with God. It just fits in to the message today. But some people think of a devotion, they only think of a time, a time that I spend in the Bible and prayer. But devotion is not just time spent in the Bible. Devotion has to do with the, the attitude of a person's heart toward God. And anybody could take this Bible, and people do it every day, and read the Bible, but it doesn't really change their relationship to God. This Bible's a wonderful book, but it's not like a magic potion that you can just read it and never make everything right. You have to respond to it. You have to receive it. And we heard about that this morning. The Bible, interestingly, the word devotion is only found one time in all the Bible, and yet we use it often. But by definition, it's a great word. I mentioned earlier about Athens, the time, the only time the word devotion is found in the Bible is in the 17th chapter of, of Acts when Paul was visiting on Mars Hill. And these polytheistic people, he, Paul is walking through this area where all these different gods are, and he noticed a, an altar, this is what the Bible says in Acts 17, an altar to the unknown God. They, they worship these gods, and then they, they have a special altar for one that they may not know. And Paul said, I'm gonna tell you about the unknown God, because he's the one that we preach. He, and this is what he said. Paul says, I passed by and beheld your devotions. And what did he mean by that? If you look that up in a Bible dictionary, the word devotion means something that is worshipped, something that is adored, something that is honored. That's what, that's what devotion is. Devotion to God is not lip service. Devotion to God is honoring God. It's worshiping God. It's it's adoring God. Uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary of the English Language, Noah Webster's Dictionary, which is a great source for, it's not the best source necessarily, but it's a very familiar source for just definitions of words. This is how it defines devotion. Just think about this. A solemn attention to the supreme being in worship a yielding of the heart and affections to God with reverence, faith, and piety. In religious duties, particularly in prayer and meditation, devoutness. That's what devotion is. If you ask a person, you know, if you're devoted to a thing or if you're devoted to God, what does devoted mean? It means solemn attention. It means yielding your heart. It means yielding your affections. It means reverence. I am, I am for having devotions, right? I'm for that. I've written, with God's help, two books that, that have a, a devotion every day, taking the Bible, looking at the Bible. But devotion is not just a time of reading. If you just read the words and you say, I had my devotions, Does it really... What is devotion? Devotion means worship and thanksgiving. It means communication and surrender and adoration to God. That's what devotion means. I think we need daily devotion. I think we need time that we are really devoting ourselves to God and yielding ourselves and confessing our sins and believing what God says. So there's something... That the Athenians in Acts 17, and the Assyrians in 2 Kings 17, and the Israelites in 2 Kings 17, either they did not know, the Assyrians may not have known, but those who did know did not practice. And that is, I said earlier, God expects his devotion to be exclusive. Exclusive. That, that, you know, in a day and age of pluralism and saying that, you know, God, is, you know, we may, re- we may have a little spiritual life, but that kind of fits into all the rest of our life, but it's not really a major part of our life. That sort of, that sort of conduct and character is not what God is looking for. You know, there's a tendency, I believe, To make too much of things, sometimes even deify things. Um, We see that in religion, Uh, for instance. You know, if if you know anything at all about what Catholics believe, they 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 attach deity to lots of different things, and to them, Mary is a mediator, just like. The Bible says we, there's only one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. But they teach that Mary's also a mediator, and if you don't think you can go directly to Jesus, you can go to Mary, and through Mary you can get to Jesus. That's not taught in the Bible. What I'm saying is that we have, they have, a, we have a tendency to elevate other things to places that only God should hold. Um, if you're in 2 Kings right there, turn to the to the right, to chapter 18. I want to give you an example of this. This was under the reign of King Hezekiah. We talked about King Hezekiah in our men's Bible study yesterday. In in 2 Kings 18, this is talking about the the, uh, good reign of King Hezekiah. I just want to notice verse 4. It says, he removed the high places. Those are High places were other places to worship other than the place that God designated. He removed those high places. It wasn't always easy to do. he broke break the images, these statues. he cut down the groves, and here's the notice part I want to really focus on, and break in pieces that the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it In case you're not familiar with it, let me just give you a quick history lesson about that subject. It's very important. It's in the book of Numbers. The children of Israel were turning against God, and they were sinning, and God sent some fiery serpents. And every time the serpent would bite one of them, they would die. And it was because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience. And they went to Moses and said, Moses, please pray for us. And Moses did pray for them. And God said, build a serpent of brass, a brazen serpent. And if they'll look to it, then they can be healed. If they don't, they're just going to die. So they build this serpent of brass. And it was a very effective thing. God used it. But here's what happened. Over the course of time, they kept that serpent of brass, and they made it a form of worship. They'd burn incense to it because they, to them, this is, people like to worship what they can see rather than the one that cannot be seen. And so what did did, um, Hezekiah do when he became the king? It says he broke it in pieces and he gave it a name. He called it Nahushtan. Now what does Nahushtan mean? It means a piece of brass. You learned a maybe a Hebrew word today. The defin- it means a piece of, you know what he said? This is nothing but a piece of brass. Quit worshiping it. That's what he was saying. It's a piece of brass. People like to deify things that shouldn't be deified. People like to worship things and they put up these statutes and they want to honor these things. But what a person, what we all need to understand about God is and and Hezekiah had it right in this point, is that God's devotion is to be exclusive. It's for God. We worship God. It's limited to only God. All other things are excluded. Here's what the Israelites wanted to do. They wanted to worship God and serve their idols. You know why the Israelites had such an issue? Because they were, they were followers of the only true God. They were living in a place called Canaan that was filled with idolatry, all forms of false worship, and it was all around them. And they were, they were, they were lured to it. They were attracted to it. They became a part of it. And, and no matter where you were, God doesn't change. He demands exclusive worship. And if a person never learns to fear God, they won't recognize that God is concerned about these things. As a matter of fact, God says twice in the book of Exodus that he's jealous. God is a jealous God. By the way, he, he has the right to be jealous because he's the Almighty. I believe this is a, the, a part of the. Um, what Jesus was addressing in the Gospels, and I'm not going to turn to that, but Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. You can't serve God and your riches. You can't serve God and your career. You can't serve God and your buddies. You can't serve God and your family. You cannot serve God and serve other things. Jesus said you've got to love the one and hate the other, and the word hate there means you've got to you got to love them less. To me, this this is so important. Uh, Most of us, including myself, have never spent a lot of time in any particular foreign country, but some people have. But let me just tell you something missionaries deal with regularly in other countries. Because many other countries are religious. They have some form of religion. Latin American countries... African countries, European countries, um, Far East countries, the Asian people, the, in India, they worship. They have all these forms of worship. Now, say with me, they have all these forms of worship. And so when you come and you're bringing them the gospel, you're bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ, God who became a man that he might go to the cross and took our sins upon his own body on a tree, that he might die in our place, that we could be forgiven. He raised from the dead and through faith in him, you can be saved. And hearing the gospel, I'm not, I'm just telling you, I've heard this many, many times. Hearing the gospel, these people say, well, we want to receive Jesus, but you know what they want to do? They want to add him to the collection of God that they already have. God does not, Jesus does not go with that. He is to be exclusively worshipped. You know what, I think that message should be fully understood and welcomed here in this setting, but that message is not always welcome here, even in America today. People want religion, but they don't really want Christ. They don't want an exclusive god Listen, you don't add Jesus to all your other beliefs. When you add Jesus, you're saying, I want you to be supreme and Lord in my life. People have that kind of logic. And and here, to me, I'm getting to to the bottom line, really. And that is this. God wants our whole heart. Young person, God wants your whole heart. And I understand a person, a young person or an adult, I understand the logic that says, but you know, I want to maintain control of my life, really. That's natural. It's human nature. But you know what? God wants to rule and reign in our life. He's not just, he's not just a religious buddy that we can add to everything else in our life. He's the almighty God. What did you, when Jesus was asked this question, what is, the, what is the first and greatest commandment, what is the first and greatest of all commandments Jesus was asked? And I'm so glad he was asked this, and I'm so glad the Bible records his answer. He never said, God, God wants you to respect him some, and it's okay if you respect him all other things as much. God, that isn't what he said. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandments. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Isn't that what Jesus said? You're to love God supremely more than anything. You're to love God. He doesn't just want a part of your heart. He wants all of our heart. I was reading yesterday, I'm not gonna turn to it today, the four or five or six times in, in one chapter of Psalm 119, that long Psalm 119, It talks about worshiping God with all your heart. I don't always notice this, but I did it today, and I notice it periodically during the choir song. When Really, we're not really participating, but the choir song's up there, and the words are up there, and I'm for putting the words up there. Are Are the specials being sung, and the words are up there, and you can see the words. Sometimes we can't hear the words as good, so I like to know the words. But sometimes I'll notice people in the congregation, and they're they're saying the words. Even though it's not congregational singing, they're saying and singing the words. You know why? Because they're worshiping God in that. God wants our whole heart. God wants us to worship Him with our whole heart. And, you know, we've, we've been in this study of Revelation, and we finally concluded it last Sunday night. But one of the things we made note of in different times and places in the Bible, of how in heaven people are just enthusiastically without inhibition, they're worshiping God. We, I think you would agree with this, but I hope you'll, if you don't agree with it, at least think about it. God never, the God of the Bible, you say, by the way, this is the only way we know what God really is, is in the Bible. I don't know the way God is because the way I feel, or the way I think, or the way I want God to be. I know where God is by reading this book. We ought to get in this book. And nowhere do you ever find the the teaching of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the Old Testament relationship of God, with His. nowhere do you find this idea, well, you know, on Sunday we're going to give God a special place, and Wednesday we're going to go and but the rest of the week it doesn't really matter you know. no that's not there we're followers of God every day we fear him I want to fear God as much tomorrow as I fear him today and I want to fear him on every day of the week as much as I do the Lord's day we don't do the same thing every day but we fear God every day because God deserves to be feared That's why we spend so much time emphasizing this. I just think it's a good, healthy reminder of the value, the benefits of fearing God. When we put other things before God, we're showing that we don't fear God the way we ought to fear God. When we do that, there are two things that are going on at the same time, and both of them are important. If I were to say, you know, you know, I fear God, I love the Lord, but I'm going to, I'm on this particular activity, or I'm going to do this, this, on in these occasions, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my faith aside, I'm going to do this instead of that. There are two things that are happening simultaneously. One of them is I'm giving greater value to whatever that is than I should. If I'm putting it before God. But the other thing, which is to me, maybe not as noticeable, but maybe more important, is I'm not giving God the recognition and the honor that he deserves. I'm I'm always, I've I've just been reading, my wife and I have just been reading through the 2 Kings in our daily Bible reading recently, and I'm always just amazed at the conflicted nature of the Assyrians who lived there in Israel. They feared God, but they put people in places of leadership that had no business being there. They feared God, and yet they served their idols. You can't do that. You can't do that. Because what we're really doing is, we're, it's not that we're, giving, we're really fearing other things, it's, it's we're not fearing God. We're not really fearing God. Now, I wanna, let's go back to our text. I want to wrap this up in 2 Kings 17. But the fear of God directly affects our devotion. I I would ask this question and ask for a response, but I think I'll just just ask the question as a rhetorical question because I think I know the answer to it already. The question would be, have you you ever find yourself, when you're sitting in church, your mind is going to a lot of other things, or you ever find yourself reading your Bible and all of a sudden your mind drifts to other things while you're reading your Bible? Have you ever been praying and while you're praying your mind just kind of wanders and I'm looking at your face thinking, that's never happened to any of you. In reality that's happened to all of us it doesn't mean we're wicked, vile people, it just means what's happening is our devotion is being drawn away at, at that moment. Our devotion, notice what it says here is we have recorded in 2nd Kings chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 35, we already read over. 32, 33, 34 a couple of times. But look in verse 35. Because in these verses we get a description of what the fear of God really looks like. With whom the Lord, talking about his people, Israel. that's The last part of verse 34 is Israel. Verse 35. With whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them. Nor sacrifice to them, but the Lord who brought you out, brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall you fear, and him shall you worship, and to him shall you sacrifice. And the statutes and ordinances and the law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall observe to do forevermore. And you shall not fear other gods. And the com- covenant that I've made with you, you shall not forget. Neither shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear. And he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Verse 40 Howbeit they did not hearken, but they did after their former manner. They wouldn't change. You know, people don't have to change, right? They didn't change. Verse 41 kind of summarized it. But but with an added important uh, fact. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images. Both their children and their children's children. As did their fathers, so did they unto this day. So... They feared the Lord, but they just kept on doing their own thing, and that's what people sometimes do. It affected their worship. It affected their devotion. It affected their obedience. But not only that, it affected their children and their grandchildren and and their children's children. You know, one of the things that we'd love to give our children... I mean, there are a lot of things we'd love to give our children, right? I'd I'd love for our children to embrace um, many things that we hold as basic Bible doctrines, those kind of things. But you know something that we would really like for our children to somehow catch is our devotion for God. That, That God matters more to us than anything else. And that's why we follow His commandments. That's why we obey Him. That's why we don't we try not to live the way the world lives. Now, I started by mentioning something about daily devotions and I'm going to end with this. You know, it, I think it's a very important thing for a person, if at all possible, to start their day, to begin their day with a time of a time with the Lord. A time when we get into the scripture and we pray. A time that we're just focusing our attention on the Lord. I think it's wise to, if it's all possible, I said if it's all possible, sometimes it's not possible, but we start our day like that. You know what I find? Because it affects the rest of my day. If I start the day off like that with God, having his he has a rightful place in my heart. I'm consciously, deliberately, intentionally saying, "Lord, I don't want to live in the flesh today. I don't want to go after my own interests. I I want to yield to you. I I want you to fill my life. I want your word to speak to me. I want to I want you I want you to use me throughout this day." I think that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a biblical thing. I think we can you know, David had that time In the morning, he talked about that. But it's more than just reading a few words. That's what I want to emphasize. It's more than just reading a few words. It's it's connecting with God. It's seeking the Lord. It's yielding to God. You know, when we fear God, by the way, none of us are perfect, right? I'm not, you're not, none of us are. But when we fear God, we're going to want to please him. I think if I'm fearing God, what he he thinks, what he says, what he wants, becomes more important, even than what I want. And the things of the world that are so powerful, they lose some of their pull on us. Because by fearing God, we're putting him and his truth in a higher place, held in higher regard than all other opinions. And that's a good place to be. But we have to make those choices. They they didn't choose that. They said, well, I'm going to fear God and I'm going to do what everybody else does. Well, you can do that, but I'm telling you, that's not really what the fear of God looks like. So I hope today you can see that the way we fear God has a direct impact on our devotion to God. You ever, I'm sure, if you've, if you've been saved for any length of time, I'm sure you've had these thoughts. When you read about people who would rather burn at a stake than compromise some biblical position, and if you've never read those stories of the martyrs, you ought to read some of them, they're inspiring. Parents who watched their children killed, or children who watched their parents burned alive or skinned like an animal, and yet they, listen, and yet they refused to compromise. What is that? I'll tell you what it is it's devotion to God. Devotion to God that's more than just a little bit of religious stuff tacked on to everything else I do. It's the thing that governs my life. It's the thing that influences my decisions, the fear of the Lord. If no one else in this room needs that, I need that. If you're here today, and and you're not even saved, If you would start learning what it is to fear God, I believe it would bring you to salvation. When you see that God is the almighty, the creator of the universe, that it's in him that we live and move and have our being, and that if you don't give your life to him, you're going to answer to him one day. And as parents, we pray that for our children. They would see that. This this is not like another one of those book of fascinating and inspiring stories and fables and nursery rhymes. No, this this is different than all of that. This is the Almighty. Amen? And if you don't know him, you need him. Amen. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. just a moment we're gonna pray our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and I would just encourage you today to think about what the Lord has said to you throughout this day maybe in the 10 o'clock hour maybe in this hour through the worship service and what is our response to that God's people clearly says God's people heard what the preaching said in the days of the prophets But they didn't change. We have to want to change. We have to be willing to change. And if you're today and you're not saved today, you need the Lord. You need Him. Christ died for you. He wants to save you. But you must come to Him. And I'm here, standing here at the front. If you want to talk to somebody, or if you just want to come spend some time at the altar in prayer, I think it would be a profitable prayer for every person in this room. Say, God, teach me. To fear you. To teach me to fear you. And be devoted to you. The way you want me to be. Our father we. So thankful today. That we can gather together. And worship you. And sing together. And learn together. And open up your word. And be challenged. By what your word says. Father we. Don't have to look far. To see in our culture. And other cultures. This. This notion that. We can fear the Lord and yet serve every other thing in the world, put other things before you. God, we don't want to do that. We want to recognize you and honor you as who you are, who you are historically, who you are theologically, but who you are personally. You're our Father and our God. You're the Almighty, and we praise you today. And teach us to fear you.